Returning back to the Psalm 19, the Psalm that we read together a short time ago in the service. And as we read through the Psalm, we find that there are three very natural divisions in the Psalm. We have the verse 1 through to the verse 6. And the subject there is God's work of creation. When we read the heavens declare the glory of God, that is, they speak to us, they tell us that the God who created them is a glorious God, that he is glorious in all his infinite attributes, he's glorious in his wisdom, his power, his holiness, his justice, his goodness, his truth, that he is the glorious creator and he is the glorious preserver and ruler. And then we come into this second uh, section, uh, for the first five through to the first twelve, and the subject there is the Word of God. And we have the different titles given to us in relation to the Word of God, and then we're told of the different effects that the Word of God has upon us. And then we have the closing verses, 13 and 14, and there we have a prayer to the Lord, and that prayer is for a life that is ordered by God's word. Now, it is the section that deals with God's word that I want to consider this morning, and especially the first seven. And the first seven is our text, and we read there, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And it is that sentence there that we want to have before us today. The first thought as we read into these words and into this verse, of course, is the title that is given to God's word. There it is called the law. Here, right away, we are faced with the authority of God's word. It is the law of God. And I want to emphasize the term that is used here. It is the word Torah that is used, but it has within it the whole thought of instruction. Now, by definition, this word law, it implies a system of rules that are binding, a system of rules that have authority. And here is the divine law. Here is God's law, and it brings before us those instructions. If we hold to the sense of the word that is used here, here we have the directions, the teachings, the instructions of God. And these are the law of God. These are binding upon us. They have divine authority. They have authority. And so we are faced immediately in reading this verse with the absolute authority of God's law. Now, of course, God's word today, I think we can say in the minds of many, has lost its authority. It is rejected as a system of rules for life that are binding. And it is safe also to say that even that would be a case among many professing Christians, that there is a lack of submission to the authority of God's word. And I fear that it might even be able to be said regarding some free Presbyterians when we bring this home and we don't want to be burying our head in the sand here today. We want to look at realities. Here is something that men are prone to. 
Here is something that, as a church, we are not immune to. So here is something that we need to take on board when we read the Word of God, that the Word of God has absolute authority over us. We need to understand that the law of God is binding, no matter what a sinful, depraved society or government says, or apostate liberalism says, the Word of God is the law of God. Over in Isaiah 33, the verse 22, we read there that the Lord is our lawgiver. And when we go to the New Testament, we have the witness there of, John, of James in the chapter 4 in the verse 12 where he bears testimony to this. Speaking of the Lord, he says, there is one lawgiver. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. So God is the lawgiver. His word is the law. It is God's word. We read in Second Timothy, the third chapter, the first 16, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. We read in Second Peter and the chapter one, the first twenty, where we read we read, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old times by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Knowing this first. And the emphasis is on the fact that here is something of greatest importance. That when we come to the word of God, we come to study the word of God. uh, We come to find food for our souls. Knowing this first of all. Here is something that is to be on our mind. uh, It has prime importance. It's of great importance that the word of God has authority over us. It is God's word. It's not man's word. 1 Thessalonians 2, the first 13. It is in truth the word of God. Now, this term, the law of God that is used here, it applies to all of the scriptures. It's not just the first five books of the Bible Uh, that is uh, spoken of here in the books of Moses. It is a word that applies to all of the scripture. And we know that by the way that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of it. When we go back into the New Testament and into the chapter 10 uh, of John's gospel, chapter 10 of John's gospel, we find the Lord is speaking here and he's answering Uh, those who are objectors to him. The first 34, John 10, uh, Jesus answered them and he said, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Perhaps we should say that the term gods that is used there It is used of magistrates on account of the honor and the dignity of their office, used with a small g, and that is the context of it. But what we're looking at here is Jesus speaking about the law. Now, he is quoting here from the Psalm 82 and the first six. So the law obviously is not only restricted to the first five books of the Bible, 
When Jesus is talking about the law, he includes in it the whole of the Old Testament. And then he is speaking here in the verse 35, and he calls the law the word of God. And then he speaks of it as the scripture. We have these three terms. All of the scripture, the word of God, is coming under this term, the law of God. And so we can see uh, from what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here, we can see that this term, the law, covers all of God's word. It covers all of the scripture. He says the scripture cannot be broken. The word that is used there is the word to be loosed or undone. It cannot be loosed. It cannot be undone. It cannot be unbound. It, it cannot be explained away. It cannot be made to mean nothing. It cannot be deprived of its authority. And that's what sinful man would want to do, would want to deprive God's word of its authority. So here is the word of God. Here is the word of God that is binding upon us. Here is the word of God that we are to be in submission to. It is God's law. Can I just say from that, that God's law has authority over every aspect of our lives. Every aspect, every avenue of our lives. If we go back into the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy 29 and the last verse, the first 29, we read the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law, that we might do all the words of this law. There are many things that we want to know, secret things, things that God has not revealed to us. But what God has revealed to us in his word, that is for us. And people, all of it is for us to govern our lives. It is, as we read here, for every generation. It is forever. It is forever. And it is concerning all the words of the law. So all of the words of the law are applicable to us and applicable uh, to us uh, today. All that is written in God's word. No part of God's word is obsolete. No part of God's word can be set aside. It is forever. We read in the Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It doesn't change. It doesn't change to suit the fashions or the feelings or the thoughts or the desires or the opinions or the behavior of a sinful world. The word of God remains the law of God. And it remains the Lord of God, the word of God, the law of God uh, to us to this day. It is forever. It is for every generation, every part of the word of God. Every aspect of our lives is to be governed by God's word. Family, marriage, business, education, politics, or friends, relationships, or behavior, language, appearance, every avenue, every aspect of our life is to be governed by God's word. God's word is God's law that we are to be in submission to. Then also, God's word has absolute authority 
in every inquiry or dispute or question. We read in Romans 4, the third chapter there, what saith the scripture? There is only one opinion that matters. What does God say? What saith the scripture? It's not about what does society say or what do our friends say or what does the government say or what do politicians say or what do the courts say. It's not even what does the church say. All of these can say one thing today and the very opposite tomorrow. We need to be aware of the rule of God over us that in every matter, every dispute, no matter what it is, no other opinion matters. It is what God says. It's not what do I think. It's not what do I understand by that. It is not saying what do I feel about that. The answer, my friend, in everything is what does God say? We must turn to the word of God. What saith the scriptures in every dispute, no matter what it is? What a clean, solid, grand, dependable solution to any question if you're serious and honest. It is what does the, Lord, what does the word of God say? What saith the scriptures? I was interested last night just to read Uh, a statement from Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he was speaking about the authority of the Bible, but it was just a little clip that came before me. And he was speaking on the, the matter of the authority of the Bible, and he said, there can be no doubt whatsoever that all the troubles in the church today are due to a departure from the authority of the Bible. And I think he cannot be far wrong. If the word of God has authority and we're submissive to the word of God, then problems cease to be. If minister, session, committee, members, all are submissive to the word of God, and in any dispute they would say, what saith the scriptures? Then there's the answer. We read over in Isaiah 8, the first 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The authority of God's word in every matter. But then we also find that it always has been and is now the devil's purpose to question and to destroy the authority of God's word. When we turn there to 2 Corinthians, let me read to you in 2 Corinthians, the chapter 11, the third verse. Paul is writing here to the church, and he says this, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. He's bringing them right back again to the early portion of God's word. He's bringing them right back again to the uh, beguiling of Eve. How was she beguiled? It was through his subtlety. 
And we have reference to it when we go back to what Paul is speaking about in Genesis 3 and the opening verse. We read, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. How did the devil beguile Eve? By this question, Yea, hath God said. He is seeking to robe the word of God of its authority. Yea, hath God said. And that's the response of modernists and of liberals and of our followers. Hath God said. It's the very same response. They are implying surely God didn't mean that. And they would try to break, try to unbind the scriptures, try to destroy the authority of God's word so that they can make it suit their own sinful behavior and standards. They will say, hath God really said that? Is that really what God means? They will say, we are living now in different times and things have changed and we've moved into the 21st century. We need to keep up with the times. Is that really what God means, they would say. They would say God doesn't mean that's how we are to live today. That's the reasoning of the devil. We need to be aware of that. We need always to keep that in our mind as Paul is reminding the believers in the church at Corinth of this very thing. He is warning them about this matter with regard to the authority of the word of God. Hath God said? Yes, God has said. What has God said? God has said everything that is written in this book. It is stamped with the authority of God. From beginning to end, everything that is written in this book. This is the law of God for our lives. All of it. For every avenue, every aspect of our living, this is the authority of God and this is what we are to live in submission to, uh, to the word of God. So we have the authority of God's word. We have also the nature of God's word. We look at that verse again, the law of the Lord is perfect. God's word, God's law is perfect. And yet man has the audacity, the impertinence, the insolence to set aside God's word, that which is perfect, and instead give their own foolish notions, pride of place, the place of authority uh, over God's perfect word. That, that's what sinful pride does. God speaking about his word his own thoughts about his word, what God thinks about his word. In the Psalm 138, the first two, he is speaking about his word and he tells us that his word is magnified above all his name, above all of his glorious attributes. God has magnified his word, yet man would cast it aside and promote his own opinion above uh, that which God tells us in his word. Man's opinion. What man thinks. What man feels. They would set aside that which is perfect. That which God has magnified. And they would put in their place their own foolish notions. The word of God is perfect. That's the nature of it. 
That same word is translated by many other English words in the Old Testament. Complete, full, sound, sincere, undefiled, without blemish, without spot, whole. Those are the terms that are used by God in other portions of his word to give us the sense of the perfection of his word. This is the nature, the characteristic of God's word. It is like the nature of God who gave it is like Christ, the incarnate word, perfect. It needs nothing added to it, nor taken from it. It doesn't need to be altered. In fact, to add to it or take from it is strictly forbidden, and it carries serious consequences as we read there in Revelation 22 and in Deuteronomy 4. The word of God is absolutely pure. It's without spot. It's without blemish. There are no contradictions in it. There are no mistakes in God's word. It is sound. It is sincere. It is absolute truth. Here is the unchangeable word of God. Psalmist said, as we've already seen, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The word of God endures forever. It doesn't change. Let me emphasize again what I've said before. It doesn't change to suit the fashions of this world or the fashions of any age or the desires of this world or the sinful desires of a sinful world. Man cannot unsettle God's word. He cannot unbind God's word. It is the pure word of God for today. The authority of God's word, it is God's law. We are to be in submission to every part of the word of God. The nature of God's word is perfect. Absolutely perfect. It cannot be replaced. And then we have the effects of God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, converting the soul. Here is the power of God's word in salvation. 2 Timothy 3 and 15, we read of the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ Jesus. The Holy Scriptures... They're able to make us wise unto salvation. That salvation that is found in Christ Jesus. That salvation that is through faith that is in him, as we learn in this verse. Romans 1 and 16, reading of the gospel of Christ. That is, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. In 1 Peter 1 and the 23rd verse, it tells us that we are born again by the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Holy Spirit uses the instrument of the word. 
and applies it powerfully to the mind, to the understanding, to the heart of the sinner, awakening the sinner, revealing to the sinner the sinner's state, Uh, and his danger and showing to the sinner Christ and the sufficiency of Christ's atoning work on the cross as they substitute for all who will repent of their sin and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Converting the soul. Oh, people, dear unsaved, you need to be converted. Matthew 18, third verse. Christ said, except you be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Except you be converted. Except you be converted, you will never enter into the glory land, into heaven. Do you see, by nature, we are sinful. We are sinful, and as a result of our sin, we are bound for eternal punishment in hell. The Bible says, the word of God says that the wages of sin is death. It tells us of the end of sin, that the end of sin is death. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. It's speaking about eternal death, about eternal damnation in hell. And so sinful man needs to be converted. He is on his way to hell. Dear unsaved, that's your state today. You have your back towards God. You're on the road to hell. You're in your sin. And the wages of your sin, what your sin deserves, according to the justice of God, what your sin deserves is eternal punishment in hell. That is the state that you're found in. And so you need to be converted. You need to be turned round. And the word of God shows us how a person can be converted. It is faith in Christ and in his atoning work. It's not by our own works. It's not by our own merits, but it's by Christ and Christ alone, the merit of his work on the cross. And if a sinner is going to be saved, dear unsaved, if you're going to be found in heaven, then you need to acknowledge your sin, that you are a sinner, And in repentance of that sin, owning that sin, knowing what that sin is bringing you to, the danger that you're in because of that sin, knowing and owning your sin before God and calling on the Lord to save you and throwing yourself in the mercy of God, putting your trust in Christ and in what Christ has done for your salvation. That is the only way to be saved. If you will not do that, if you won't come to Christ for salvation, you will not be saved. If you don't come to Christ for salvation, you'll be lost eternally in hell. That's what the word of God says. That's what the law of God says. That's what the scripture says. And so this is the effect of the law of God. That which is perfect, it is used for the converting of the soul, to bring sinners to Christ. But just another application of this term, converted. Because the Hebrew word that is used here, it also means to refresh. 
That's how it was used in Proverbs 25 and the verse 13, to refresh the soul. And it also is translated in Lamentations in the chapter 1. Three times there in those verses in that chapter 1, the same Hebrew word is translated to relieve. It is to bring relief to the soul. That's the effect of the word of God. How wonderfully does the word of God refine and relieve and refresh the burdened soul. Those that are sorrowful, those that are anxious, the children of God who uh, live in, in times of difficulty. When they're brought, if you like, under a cloud. How wonderfully the word of God and the promises of God's word will refresh us and relieve us. Promises of his presence with us. He tells us that he will never leave us or forsake us. His presence with us is guaranteed. No matter how dull and how dark and how dismal things may appear to be, the word of God assures us that we have his presence with us. The presence of the Lord is with us. He who is the same yesterday and today forever. We have the comfort of the Lord. We have the peace of God. We have the provisions of God. Oh, how wonderfully we can be refreshed through the word of God. It is in and through the word of God that we have the guidance and the directions of God's word to lead us, to guide us. How precious, how powerful is the word of God to our soul. People, we need to cherish the word of God and to love it and to learn it and to obey it because that's where the blessing of God is. The Lord has before us here the authority of his word. Let none of us cast the authority of God's word aside, putting in in its place what we think or what others say. The word of God is the final rule in every situation. The authority of the word of God. The nature of the word of God, it is absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. And then we have the effects of the word of God. It is to the converting of the soul. Bringing sinners to Christ. Showing sinners their state before God, the danger that they're in. Toning the them to put their trust in him. Aye. And then, of course, those redeemed by his precious blood find great relief from difficulties. They find great relief in the midst of difficulties. They find times of refreshing in and through the word of God. Let us then find it to be precious to us. Let us claim it again to be that which it is. Let us hold dear to the word of God and receive and enjoy the blessings of reading it, of obeying it, and of speaking it. May the Lord be pleased to bless his word to our hearts today. We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll sing together. Another hymn, during the singing of that hymn, those who must leave us before the Lord's table, if you would go during the singing of the first two and onwards of the hymn, and that will give me time to get to the door to see you.
The hymn number 655, 655, the page number 440. Amidst us our beloved stands and bids us few his pierced hands, points to his wounded feet and side, blessed emblems of the crucified. We'll stand to sing this hymn. We'll have a word of prayer just before uh, we uh, sing the hymn. Our God and our Father, we look to thee again. We pray, Lord, that thou would apply thy word to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that as we would gather around the table now, that we'll find a sweetness in thy presence with us. We do remember those who must leave us, Lord. Keep thy good hand upon them. Apply thy word to their hearts. Let it be to the unsaved a saving word, to thy people an edifying word. But Lord, we pray that now thou would continue with us around the table. Bless us. Do us good, Lord. Oh, that we might enjoy the means of grace. For we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 